Welcome to the third part of three parts entitled Demon Possession in Early America, Magnalia Christi Americana by Cotton Mather. The thirteenth example, in the present evil world it is no wonder that the operations of the evil angels are more sensible than that of the good and wood ones. Nevertheless, it is very certain that the good angels continually, without any defilement, fly about in our defiled atmosphere to minister for the good of them that are to be heirs of salvation. The natives of heaven, as Dr. Fuller phrases it, grudge not to guard those who are only three denizens thereof. The excellent rivet hath well expressed what is to be believed on this matter, that every one of them who shall be heirs of salvation hath, besides what may be with him on extraordinary occasions, always one particular angel with him, is a probable truth, and not against the scripture. Albeit we cannot from thence infer that it is always the same angels. Now though the angelic ministration is usually behind the curtain of more visible instruments and their actions, Yet sometimes it hath been with extraordinary circumstances made more obvious to the sense of the faithful. Of all that have occurred in this land, this only shall here be expressed. I find in the diary of my dear and reverend and excellent friend, Mr. John Bailey, a wonderful passage concerning his eminently pious wife, who died at our water town, which I will here transcribe. April the 14th, 1691, she was dying all day. Towards sunset she said unto me especially, and unto others, that we had done her the greatest diskindness that ever she met with since she was born, in keeping her back, and not delivering her up to God in Christ, whom she loved above all, and longed to be with, to be with all. She begged as for her life that we would, and I especially, take up our love wholly from her, and give our all to the Lord Jesus Christ, as she had often done, and was now willing again to do. She would never be quiet, until I promised before all those witnesses present, which were many, and before the holy angels, who she desired would seal to it with their golden seals, that I would be willing to part with her, and let her go, and that I would give my all up to the Lord Jesus Christ, even herself and everything else, which, in the name of Christ, I promised to labor to be willing, and I would be willing to do. This gave her some content, and she said that God had appeared unto her, and that she was full of the joys of the Holy Ghost, and that she had whole floods of the love of God in her soul, and she could not stand under it. She often said that she had rivers of joy, and that she could scatter it about the town, and that all this was to her the worst of sinners, and that it was not only undeserved, but also unexpected. She desired everyone to take heed of slighting the Lord Jesus Christ. And she assured them that if they entertained him, they should be as full of love and joy as she. And she advised them to give up all unto God, and to make much of him. For there was none like him, and as long as she had a tongue or a breath, she would praise him. And she asked us all that, 
If we would not or could not praise him on our own accounts, yet we would do it on hers. For she was topful, brimful, and running over. She said, Death, have no terror at it at, at all in it. She could as freely die as ever she went to sleep. She said, I deserve none of this love, but if Christ will give it, who can hinder it? Go to him. He is no niggard. He has love and grace enough for you all. I cannot bear it. It is so heavy. Hey, said she, my poor husband, though a disconsolate man, Jesus Christ will fit him with all this love before he dies, and he will fill you all if it be not your own fault. She said unto him, If anybody want me, this poor man will. Yet as well as I love him, and I now love him better than ever, and shall bless God through all eternity for him, yet I would not be heard by millions of worlds to live a day or an hour with him from Christ. And yet if God would have me to live, I would live. This hour is the happiest hour that ever I had since my mother bound my head. There was never such an instance of free grace as I am persuaded since the world began. Let all take notice to the glory of free grace that I go off the stage nobly and honourably. She said that she was going to the Lord and if thousands of devils should tell her otherwise, she would not believe them. God had now made her amends for all the troubles she had met with all in the world. She then desired that we would sing some psalm of praise to the riches of free grace, but her hearts were hanged on the willows. We did it not. Yet there was melodious singing at that very time. I heard it myself, but intended never to speak of it until the nurse B and MS spoke of it. They went into the fire thinking it was there but they heard it best when within the curtains. God, by his holy angels, put an honour upon my dear little woman, and by it reproved us that seeing we would not sing, being bad at it, they would. The fourteenth example. To conclude our wonders of the invisible world, there will doubtless be expected an account of the wonders of that afflicted New England in the year 1692. Now, having in my hands a most unexceptional account thereof, written by Mr. John Hales, I will here content myself with the transcribing of that, and I will assure the reader that he has now to do with a writer who would not for a world be guilty of overdoing the truth in a history of this importance. Sadducism stormed. One, in the latter year, in the latter end of the year, 1691, Mr. Paris, pastor of the church in Salem Village, had a daughter of nine and a niece about eleven years of age, sadly afflicted of they knew not what distempers, and though he made his application to physicians, yet still they grew worse. At length, one physician gave his opinion that they were under an evil hand. This the neighbours took up and concluded they were bewitched. He had also an Indian manservant and his wife, who afterwards confessed that, without the knowledge of their master or mistress, they had taken some of the afflicted person's urine, and mixing it with meal, had made a cake and baked it to find out the witch, as they said. 
After this, the afflicted persons cried out of the Indian woman named Tidoga that she did pinch, prick, and grievously torment them, and that they saw her here and there where nobody else could. Yet they could tell where she was and what she did when out of their humane sight. These children were bitten and pinched by invisible agents. Their arms, necks, and backs turned this way and that way and returned back again. So it was impossible for them to do of themselves and then beyond the power of any epileptic fits or natural diseases to affect. Sometimes they were taken dumb. Their mouths stopped. Their throats choked. Their limbs racked and tormented so as might move an heart of stone to sympathize with them, with bowels of compassion for them. I will not enlarge in the description of their cruel sufferings, because they were in all things afflicted as bad as John Goodwin's children at Boston in the year 1689. So that he that will read Mr. Mather's book of memorable provinces may read part of what these children and afterwards Sunday grown persons suffered by the hands of Satan and at Salem village and parts adjacent in 1691-1692. Yet there was more in these sufferings than in those at Boston. By pins invisibly stuck into their flesh, pricking with irons, etc., as in part published in the book printed 1693, is The Wonders of the Invisible World. Mr. Parrish, seeing the distressed condition of his family, desired the presence of some worthy gentlemen of Salem and some neighbor ministers to consult together at his house, who, when they came and had inquired diligently into the sufferings of the afflicted, concluded they were preternatural and feared the hand of Satan was in them. 2. The advice given to Mr. Paris about them was that he should sit still and wait upon the providence of God to see what time might discover and to be much in prayer for the discovery of what was yet secret. They also examined Tidiba, who confessed the making of cake, as it above mentioned, and said her mistress in her own country was a witch, and had taught her some means to be used for the discovery of a witch, and for prevention of being bewitched, but said that she herself was not a witch. 3. Soon after this, there were two or three private fasts at the minister's house, one of which was kept by sundry neighbor ministers, and after this, another in public at the village, and several days afterwards of public humiliation during these molestations, not only there, but in other congregations for them, and one general fast, by order of the general court, observed throughout the colony to seek the Lord that he would rebuke Satan and be a light unto his people in this day of darkness. But I return to these troubles. In a short time after, other persons who were of age to be witnesses were molested by Satan, and in their fits cried out upon Tidiba and Goody O and S.G. that they, or spectres in their shape, did grievously torment them. Some of their village neighbours complained unto the magistrates at Salem, desiring that they would come and examine the afflicted and the accused together, the which they did. 
the effect of which examination was that Tidiba confessed she was a witch, and that she, with the other two others accused, did torment and bewitch the complainers, and that these, with two others, whose names she knew not, had their witch meetings together, relating the times when and places where they met, with many other circumstances elsewhere to be seen at large. Upon this, the said Tidiba and O and G were committed to prison upon suspicion of acting witchcraft. After this, the said Tidiba was again examined in prison, and owned her first confession in all points, and then was herself afflicted, and complained of her fellow witches tormenting of her for her confession, and accusing them. And being searched by a woman, she was found to have upon her body the marks of the devil's wounding her. 4. Here were these things rendered her confession credible. 1. But at this examination she answered every question just as she did at the first. And it was thought that if she had feigned her confession, she could not have remembered her answers so exactly. A liar, we say, had need to have a, a good memory, but truth, being always consistent with itself, is the same today as it was yesterday. Two, she seemed very penitent for her sin in covenanting with the devil. Three, she became a sufferer herself, and as she said, for her confession. Four, her confession agreed exactly, which was afterwards verified in the other confessors, with the accusations of the afflicted. Soon after, these afflicted persons complained of other persons afflicting them in their fits, and the number of the afflicted and the accused began to increase. And the success of Tidibus' confession encouraged those in authority to examine others that were suspected, and the event was that more confessed themselves guilty of the crimes they were suspected for, and thus was the matter driven on. I observed in the prosecution of these affairs that there was in the justices, judges and others concerned a conscientious endeavour to do the thing that was right and to that end they consulted the precedents of the former times and precepts laid down by learned writers about witchcraft as Keeble on the common law chapter Conjuration, an author approved by the twelve judges of our nation. Also Sir Matthew Hale's Trials of Witches, printed 1682. Glanville's collection of sundry trials in England and Ireland in the year 1658, 61, 63, 64, and 81. Bernard's Guide to Jurymen, Baxter's and R.B., their histories about witches and their discoveries. See Mather's Memorable Provenances Relating to Witchcrafts, printed 1685. 6. But that which chiefly carried on this matter to such an height was the increasing of confessors until they amounted to near upon 50, and four or six of them upon their trials owned their guilt of this crime and were condemned for the same, but not executed and many of the confessors confirmed their confessions with very strong circumstances, as their exact agreement with the accusations of the afflicted, their punctual agreement with their fellow confessors, 
They're relating the times when they covenanted with Satan and the reasons they moved in thereunto. Their witch meetings and that they had their mock sacraments of baptism and the supper in some of them. Their signing of the devil's book and some showed the scars of the wounds which they said were made to fetch blood to, which was to sign the devil's book. And some said they had imps to suck them and showed sores raw which they said that they were sucked by them. Seven. I shall give the reader a taste of these things in a few instances. The afflicted complained that the spectres which vexed them urged them to set their hands to a book, represented to them, as to them it seemed, with threatenings of great torments if they signed not, and promises of ease if they obeyed. Among these, D.H., as he said, with sundry others confessed afterwards, being overcome by the extremity of her pains, did sign the book presented, and had the promised ease, and immediately upon it a sex spectre in her shape afflicted another person and said, I have signed the book and have ease. Now do you sign, and so shall you have ease. And one day this afflicted person pointed at a certain place in the room and said, There is D.H. Upon which a man with his rapier struck at the place, though he saw no shape, and the afflicted called out saying, you have given her a small prick about the eye. Soon after this, the said D.H. confessed himself, herself to be made a witch by signing the devil's book, as above said, and declared that she had afflicted the maid that complained of her, and in doing it had received two wounds by a sword or a rapier, a small one about the eye, which she showed to the magistrates, and the bigger on the side, of which she was searched by a discreet woman, who reported that D.H. had on her side the sign of a wound newly healed. This D.H. confessed that she was at a witch meeting at Salem Village, where were many persons that she named, some of whom were in prison then, or soon after, upon suspicion of witchcraft, and she said G.B. preached to them, and such a woman was their deacon, and there they had a sacrament. 8. Several others, after this, confessed the same things with D.H. In particular, Goody F. said that she, with two others, one of whom acknowledged the same, rode from Andover to the same village witch meeting upon a stick above the ground, and that in the way the stick brake and gave the said F. a fall. Whereby, said she, I got a fall and hurt, of which I am still sore. I happened to be present in prison when Miss F. owned again her former confession to the magistrates. I asked her if she rode to the meeting on a stick. She said, yea. I inquired what she did for victuals. She answered that she carried bread and cheese in her pocket, and that she and the Andover company came to the village before the meeting began, and sat down together under a tree, and eat their food, and that she drank water out of a brook to quench her thirst, and that the meeting was upon a plain grassy place, by which was a cart path, in which were the tracks of horses' feet. And she also told me how long they were going and returning, and sometime after told me she had some trouble upon her spirit. And when I inquired what, 
she said she was in fear that GB and MC would kill her. For there appeared unto her inspector, for their persons were kept in other rooms in the prison, and brought a sharp pointed iron like a spindle, but four square, and threatened to stab her to death, because she had confessed her witchcraft, and told of them that they were with her. And MC above named was the person that made her a witch. About a month after, the said F took occasion to tell me the same story of her fears that GB and MC would kill her, so that thing was much on her spirit. 9. It was not long, after, long before ML, daughter of the said F, confessed that she rode with her mother to the said witch meeting and confirmed the substance of her mother's confession. At another time, ML, Jr., the granddaughter, aged about 17 years, confesses the substance of what her grandmother and mother had related, and declares that when they, with MC, rode on a stick or pole in the air, she, the said granddaughter, with RC, rode upon another, and the said RC acknowledged the same, and that they set their hands to the devil's book, and inter alia said, O oh mother, why did you give me to the devil? twice or thrice over. The mother said she was sorry at the heart for it. It was through that wicked one. Her daughter bade her repent and call upon God and said, O oh mother, your wishes are now come to pass, but how often have you wished that the devil would fetch me away alive? And then said, O oh, my heart will break within me. Then she wept bitterly, crying out, O oh Lord, comfort me and bring out all the witches. And she said to her grandmother, O oh, grandmother, why did you give me to the devil? Why did you persuade me? O oh, grandmother, do not deny it. Then the grandmother gave account of several things about their confederates and acts of witchcraft, too long to rehearse. Moreover, another declared that she, with widow S, went to Captain W.S. and said S gave him a blow with a great stick and yet was to him invisible. Captain W. declared he had a sore blow, as if with a great stick, but saw nobody. The widow S. denied that she struck him. Then M. P., the confessor, very boldly looked up into her face and said, Goody S., you know you did strike him, and I saw you do it, and then told the manner how it was done, and how they came to him and returned. 10. Nextly, I will insert the confession of a man, about 40 years of age, W.B., which he wrote himself in prison, and sent to the magistrates to confirm his former confession to them. God, having called me to confess my sin and apostasy in that fall, and giving the devil advantage over me, appearing to me like a black in the evening to set my hand to his book, I have owned to my shame. He told me that I should not want so doing. At Salem Village, there being a little off the meeting house, about an hundred fine blades, some with rapiers by their sides, which was called, there might be more for aught I know, by B and B.U., and the trumpet sounded, and the bread and wine, which they called the sacrament. But I had none, being carried over all upon a stick, never being at any other meeting. I being a 
cart Saturday last all the day of hay and English corn. The devil brought my shape to Salem and did afflict MS and RF by clinching my hand. And on Sabbath day my shape afflicted AM and night afflicted MS and AM. EJ and AF have been my enticers to this great abomination as one hath owned and charged her other sister with the same. And the design was to destroy Salem village and to begin at the minister's house and to destroy the churches of God and to set up Satan's kingdom and then all will be well. And now I hope God hath made me in some measure sensible of my sin and apostasy, begging pardon of God and of the honourable magistrates and all God's people, hoping and promising by the help of God to set my heart and hand to do what in me lies to destroy such wicked worship. Humbly begging the prayers of God's people for me, I may humbly walk humbly under this great affliction, and that I may procure to myself the sure mercies of David. Concerning this confession, note, one, it was his own free act in prison. Two, he said the devil like a black sheep, as he had before explained to be like a black man. Three, that on a certain day was heard in the air the sound of a trumpet at Salem village, nigh the meeting house, and upon all inquiry it could not be found that any mortal man did sound it. For the three persons, he said, the devil in his shape afflicted, had been, as to the time and manner, afflicted as he confesses. Five, the E.J. confessed as much as W.B. charged her with. Six, many others confessed a witch meeting or witch meetings at the village as well as he. Note also that these confessors did not only witness against themselves, but against one another, and against many, if not all those that suffered for that crime. As for example, when G.B. was tried, seven or eight of these confessors, severally called, said they knew the said B, and saw him at witch meeting at the village, and heard him exhort the company to pull down the kingdom of God, and set up the kingdom of the devil. He denied all, yet said he justified the judges and jury in condemning of him, because there were so many positive witnesses against him, but said he died by false witnesses. MC had to witness against two or three of her own children, and several neighbours that said they were in confederacy with her in her witchcraft. AF had three of her children, and some of the neighbours, her own sister and a servant, who confessed themselves witches, and said she was in confederacy with them. But alas, I am weary with relating particulars. Those that would see more of this kind, let them have recourse to the records. 11. By these things you may see how this matter was carried on. This, chiefly by the complaints and accusations of the afflicted, bewitched ones, as it was supposed, and then by the confessions of the accused, condemning themselves and others. Yet experience showed that the more they were apprehended, the more were, the more were still afflicted by Satan, and the number of confessors increasing did, not, did but increase the number of the accused, 
and the executing of some made way for the apprehending of others. For still the afflicted complained of being tormented by new objects as the former were removed. So that those that were concerned grew amazed at the number and quality of the persons accused and feared that Satan by his wiles had enwrapped innocent persons under the imputation of that crime. And at last it was evidently seen that there must be a stop put or the generation of the children of God would fall under that condemnation. Henceforth, therefore, the juries generally acquitted such as were tried, fearing they had gone too far before. And Sir William Phipps, the governor, reprieved all that were condemned, even the confessors as well as others. And the confessors generally fell off from their confession, some saying they remembered nothing of what they had said, others said they had believed themselves and others. Some broke prison and ran away and were not strictly searched after. Some acquitted, some dismissed, and one way or other all that had been accused was set or left at liberty. And although, had the times been calm, the condition of the confessors might have called for a melius inquirendum, yet considering the combustion and confusion this matter had brought us unto, it was thought safer to underdo than overdo, especially in matters capital, where what is once completed cannot be retrieved, but what is left at one time may be corrected at another, under review and clearer discovery of the state of the case. Thus this matter issued somewhat abruptly. 12. It may be queried, how does it appear that there was a going too far in this affair? Answer 1. By the numbers of the persons accused, which at length increased to about a hundred, and it cannot be imagined that in a place of so much knowledge, so many in so small a compass of the land, should so abominably leap into the devil's lap all at once. 2. The quality of several accused was such as I did as did bespeak better things and things that accompany salvation. Persons who blameless and holy lives before did testify for them. Persons that had taken great pains to bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, such as we had charity for, as for our own souls, and charity is a Christian duty commended to us. 3. The number of the afflicted daily increased, until about 50 persons were thus vexed by the devil. This gave just ground to suspect some mistake, which gave advantage to the accuser of the brethren to make a breach upon us. 4. It was considerable that 19 were executed, and all denied the crime to the death. And some of them were knowing persons, and had before this been accounted blameless livers. And it is not to be imagined but that, if all had been guilty, some would have had so much tenderness as to seek mercy for their souls in the way of confession and sorrow for such a sin. And as for the condemned confessors at the bar, they being reprieved, we had no experience whether they would stand to their self-condemning confessions when they came to die. 5. When this prosecution ceased, the Lord so chained up Satan that the afflicted group 
presently well. The accused are generally quiet, and for five years since, we have no such molestation by them. 6. It sways much with me that I have since heard and read of the like mistakes in other places, as in Suffolk in England about the year 1645, was such a prosecution until they saw that unless they put a stop, it would bring all into blood and confusion. The like have been in France until 900 were put to death. In some other places alike, so that New England is not the only place circumvented by the wiles of the wicked and wily serpent in this kind. Virus E. Prestius Daimonium, page 678, what relates that an inquisitor in the Subalpine Valleys inquired after woman witches and consumed above a hundred in the flames and daily made new offerings to Vulcan and those that needed Hellebore more than fire. Until the country people rose and by force of arms hindered him and referred the matter to the bishop. Their husbands, men of good faith, affirmed that in that very time they said of them that they had played and danced under a tree. They were in bed with them. In Chelmsford, in Essex, 1645, there were thirty tried at once before Judge Conius, and fourteen of them hanged, and a hundred more detained in several prisons in Suffolk and Essex. As to our case at Salem, I conceive it proceeded from some mistaken principles, as that Satan cannot assume the shape of an innocent person, and in that shape do mischief to the bodies and estates of mankind, and that the devil, when he doth harm to persons in their body or state, it is, it is at least most commonly and generally and frequently, by the help of our neighbour, some witch in covenant with the devil, and that when the party suspected looks on the parties supposed to be bewitched, and they are thereupon struck down into a fit, as is struck with a cudgel, it is a proof of such a covenant. The worthy author, from whose manuscript I have transcribed this narrative, does there confute these mistaken principles. And in his confuting of one, this, that if the party suspected appear in spectre to the afflicted, and the afflicted give a blow with a knife, sword, etc., or some other on their behalf, and the spectre seems wounded or bleeding, or to have their garment torn by the blow received, and the party, spectrally represented, be re presently searched, and there is found upon their body a wound or blood, even on the same part of their body, or rent on the same part of the garment, which appeared on the spectre to the afflicted, this has been accounted as strong evidence to prove the party suspected to be confederate with Satan in afflicting the complainer. He had divers notable passages. One of them is this. The person or garment so represented to the afflicted by the spectre was wounded or bleeding or cut or rent before. And the devil, knowing this, represents to the afflicted that part of the spectre which answers to the body wounded or garment rent. And then the searchers, finding such wounds upon or rents upon the person suspected, are ready to conclude it was done by the stroke of the spectre, which was done before. There was at Chelmsford, 
an afflicted person, and in her fits cried out against a woman, a neighbour, which Mr. Clark, the minister of the gospel there, could not believe to be guilty of such a crime. And it happened, while that woman milked her cow, the cow struck her with one horn upon the forehead, and fetched blood. And while she was thus bleeding, a spectre in her likeness appeared to the party afflicted, who pointing at the spectre, one struck at the place, and the afflicted said, you have, you have made her forehead bleed. Hereupon some went unto the woman, and found her forehead bloody, and, and acquainted Mr. Clark of it, who forthwith went to the woman, and asked, how her forehead became bloody? And she answered, by a blow of the cow's horn, as above said, whereby he was satisfied that it was the design of Satan to render an innocent person suspected. Another instance was at Cambridge, about forty years since. There was a man much troubled in the night with cats, or the devil in their likeness haunting of him. Whereupon he kept a light burning, and a sword by him as he lay in bed, for he suspected a widow woman to send these cats or imps by witchcraft to bewitch him. And one night, as he lay in bed, a cat or imp came within his reach, and he struck her on the back. And upon inquiry, he heard this widow and a sore back. This confirmed his suspicion of the widow. He supposed it came from the wound he gave the cat. But Mr. Day, the widow's surgeon, cleared the matter up, saying this widow came to him and complained of a sore in her back and desired his help, and he found it to be a boil and ripened and healed it as he used to do other boils. But while this was incure, the supposed cat was wounded, as is already rehearsed. Again, I knew a woman that was spectrally represented unto an afflicted maid, who complained that she was in such a part of the room, whereupon one struck at it with his rapier in the scabbard, and the afflicted said, You have rent her gown in such a place, and the gown is green. Afterwards this woman was observed, when apprehended, to have that green gown on, which doubtless she would not have worn then, if she had known anything of its being rent, by striking at her spectre. And there was found a rent sewed up, just in the place the afflicted had said, it was torn by the scabbard in the same manner. I afterwards asked this woman how her gown came so torn. She answered, by going into a yard about a year before, and such an one knew it to be so. The author elsewhere, speaking of another mistaken principle, takes occasion to mention the following passage. I remember when there was a great discourse about witches, a very holy man heard this, his wife say she desired a sucking pig. And he, going to a neighbor's house, saw a sow in a litter of pigs, and took a fancy to the one of them, in particular for his wife, and asked the owner for that pig. He only denied him. Hereupon he went away in great passion, very unsuitable for us to such a person, and that very pig left its dam and company, and followed this man to his home. This was observed, and it was supposed Satan might have had some hand in it, taking advantage upon the passion of so good a man to render him suspected by such an accident if he could. Upon the whole, 
The author spends whole chapters to prove that there is that there yet is a witch. And he gives his definition of one, this, a person that having the free use of reason, doth knowingly and willingly seek and obtain of the devil or any other god besides the true god Jehovah an ability to do or know strange things or things which he cannot by his own humane abilities arrive unto. This person is a witch. And thus much for that manuscript. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.